This morning we're going to open God's Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, and before we uh, read and, and look and study God's Word together, let's spend just a few moments in prayer. Father, Father, there, there's a battle, and, and it feels so invisible in this room right now, and yet we know there's a battle. There's a battle for the souls of people in this room. And so, Father, I pray that you would fight. And Jesus, I pray that it would be your victory that's won here in this place. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me. My sin is so great. I so much want to shrink back and not tell the gospel. So Holy Spirit, would you give me boldness? And Holy Spirit, would you give ears to hear and hearts to embrace the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we leave here this morning willing to trust you to fight and win every battle. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The absolute worst picnic that has ever been uh, in the history of the world. Okay, that's hyperbole, but it's true. The worst picnic ever was on July 21st, 1861. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was the day of the first battle of the Civil War. And what do you do when civil war breaks out in your country? Well, you leave your house on a Sunday afternoon and you ride your carriage out into the countryside and you watch. You pack a picnic and you watch the battle unfold. That's, of course, what you do. That's a terrible idea. But that's what people did. They went out with their picnic baskets and they went out with their opera glasses and they took up positions on the hills around the battlefield, and they sat down on blankets to watch until things turned. And then they all ran away because they discovered what a battle really is. And I want you to know that there is a battle going on in this room right now. The battle is not out there. The battle is happening here. And I want you to fight. I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to pray. If I start to sound nervous, I want you to silently pray, oh, Father, give Dave strength to preach the gospel. And I want you to ask God to give you ears to hear the glory of Jesus. I want you to leave here believing that the battle is raging, but the victory is won through Jesus. I don't want any of you to lie to yourself that there's not a battle going on. It was not long after the first battle of Bull Run and the battle at Manassas. They, they call it different things, but there was an article written in the Boston Herald, and there was a poem written. I'm going to read you a poem. It's a poem cartooning 
the people who went out that day to the battle. Have you heard the story so lacking in glory about the civilians who went to the fight? With everything handy, from sandwich to brandy, to fill their broad stomachs and make them all tight. There were bulls from our State Street and cattle from Wall Street and members of Congress to see the great fun. Newspaper reporters, some regular snorters, on a beautiful Sunday went to Bull Run. Provided with passes as far as Manassas, the portly civilians rode jolly along. Tell the sound of the battle, the roar and the rattle of cannon and musket drowned laughter and song. Their hearts were all willing to witness the killing when the jolly civilians had chosen their ground. They drank and they nibbled, reporters they scribbled while shot from the cannon were flying round. But nearer the rattle and storm of the battle approached the civilians who came to a show. The terrible thunder filled them with wonder and trembling and quaking with fear of the foe. The hell's eggshells flying, the groans of the dying, soon banished their pleasure and ruined their fun. There was terrible slaughter. Blood ran like water when civilians were picnicking down at Bull Run. There's no picnic. There's a fight. There's a battle. And I want you to win. I want Jesus to reign in your hearts. And so I'm going to do the best I can to set myself on fire for Jesus and burn as bright as I can for Jesus for the next hour and a half. Just kidding. <laughs> for the next few minutes, I'm going to do the best I can to help you understand what this book says about you and about me, that the battle isn't out there, it's in here. And the battle line runs through every human heart. It runs through your heart, and it runs through my heart. Let me tell you about the battle in me. So this is an email I sent this week. <clears throat> this will be fun. This is an email I sent to Ed Taylor, and uh, so I'm going to read it the way he read it first, and then I'm going to read it the way I wrote it. So here's how Ed read it. On Thursday at Presbytery, Randy Pope has a PowerPoint for his talk. I created it, put it in the Sunday PowerPoint folder. If you would add it to the Easy Worship for Thursday, that'd be great. So that's how Ed read it. Let me re read it how I wrote it. On Thursday at Presbytery, Randy Pope has a PowerPoint for his talk. I created it and put it in the Sunday PowerPoint folder. If you'd add it to the easy worship for Thursday, that'd be great. See, what is it about my sin-sick orphan heart that I would so quickly forget about Jesus? Why did I put that sentence? I created it and put it in the PowerPoint folder. Why did I need a credit? Why did I need a deposit? in my little record book of righteousness? Why did I need to be seen as somebody who could create a PowerPoint who would be willing to go the extra mile? Why did I need a record? Because I forgot 
about Jesus, and you say, well, that's just a small thing. Oh, you don't understand sin. You don't understand the battle. You don't understand the fight. So let's find out about the battle. Genesis chapter 4. Last week, Strider did a great job introducing the battle. It's in Genesis 3, 15, and it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the battle begins. And God says, I'm going to go to battle for my people. I'm going to go and I'm going to fight for my people. And I'm going to deliver my people from sin and death and hell. And I'm going to do it by sending a redeemer a savior to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. You say, I don't see that in that verse. That verse introduces the battle. The rest of the Bible tells us how it's won. Genesis 3.15 tells us that the battle begins, and Genesis 4 illustrates the battle. And here's how it starts. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so there's two sons, the firstborn of Eve and Adam, and there would be more sons and daughters, perhaps many more sons and daughters, but Cain and Abel are going to illustrate the battle begun in Genesis 3.15. And so they couldn't be more different than one another. One is a tiller of the ground. The other, a shepherd of the flocks. They couldn't be more different. Cain, his name means gotten with the help of the Lord. His name cries out, accomplishment. But Abel's name means Vapor, mist, temporary, just passing through life. Now, if you had two sons and you named one achievement and you named the other vapor, who would you expect to turn out better? Who would you expect would, would have a life that would demonstrate the glory of God and, and the beauty of the gospel? You would expect it to be achievement especially we Americans. But you see, God estimates it completely different because Abel, you know, the, the passing mist, Abel ends up in the faith hall of fame. See, God's way of estimating things and our way of estimating things are dramatically different. The battle begins. Verse 3, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry in his countenance. 
And so Cain and Abel both bring an offering. And it's not a sin offering. It's not a sacrifice to to cover over their sin. It's just a a love offering, an offering of devotion to the Lord. It's an offering to say, Lord, we love you. Or so it seems. There's no difference between the offerings except this. The Lord had regard for Abel's offering. But for Cain's offering, the Lord had no regard. And there's the first shot of the gospel to your heart. God had regard for Abel's offering. Why? Not because of the superiority of the offering, but because of his grace, because of his willingness to love Abel, for his willingness to have regard for Abel. It wasn't Abel's righteousness. It was God's grace through faith that credited him with righteousness because of his offering. It wasn't Abel's greatness. It was God's greatness that caused him to have regard for Abel. But for Cain, God had no regard. Now, you come across a verse like that, and you're looking at it, and you're going, what's this all about? Let me help you know what to do when you come across a passage in Scripture that seems unclear. The best rule for interpreting Scripture is Scripture itself. The best way to understand what Scripture teaches is to find other passages that refer to this passage to help you understand it. Scripture interprets Scripture, and most of your Bibles have in the margins some cross-references to help you know other passages in Scripture that may be referring to this topic or may be referring to these people. So if you're ever confused... You can start by searching for other places that refer to these people, and the cross-references will give you a start. Now, when you cross-reference Cain and Abel to try and understand what's happening inside of them, you see this. In 1 John 3, verse 12, Not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so there's operating in Cain and Abel two ways of life, the way of evil and the way of righteousness, the way of human achievement and the way of faith. You say, well, how do you know it's of faith? Well, here's... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel tells us the gospel, that there is a righteousness that doesn't come by moral effort. There is a righteousness that can be ours through faith in Jesus alone. God, through faith, credits righteousness to Abel, and Abel is regarded by God not because of his righteousness, but because of 
God's righteousness credited to him through faith. Abel is the man of faith. And Cain is a man in whose heart evil reigns. There's the battle. It's the battle for faith. Is it going to be unbelief producing the unrighteous and the evil that our hearts are capable of? Or is it going to be faith that produces a righteousness that we cannot merit, that we cannot earn, that's credited to our account by grace? Which would you rather have? Would you rather stand before God in your own righteousness, which he calls evil, or would you like to stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus through faith, which he calls eternal life? The battle is raging. Shots are being fired, and God's shot into the heart of Cain and Abel is to invite them to believe the gospel. The gospel that says, that it's by faith in Christ alone that we secure a righteous standing before God. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 6 of Genesis 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. God comes to Cain in his kindness. In his mercy, in his love, God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? Mark the word, why. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? Do you see what God's doing? God is inviting Cain to repent, not of his visible external sin, but of the sin beneath the sin, the sin of his heart. And why is Cain angry? And why has Cain's countenance fallen? Because he knows that his brother has the regard of God, and he does not. Rather than repenting, Rather than turning to God and trusting in his grace the way Abel had. Verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and his brother and killed him. There was a battle, and Cain didn't know it. Cain didn't know that that there was a battle raging. He didn't know that sin was crouching at the door. He heard it, but he didn't believe it. He didn't believe that sin was like a crouching lion. It tried to make itself small. And Cain said, oh, it's no big deal, until he was face to face with his brother. And then what happened? Anger 
gave way to rage. Rage gave way to murder. Oh, there's a battle raging. And I want you to know that sin will never be content. It will either be killing you or you will be killing it. Anger, rage, murder. It's what happened to Cain and it's what can happen to us. If we don't look to Christ by faith and believe in Christ, we have righteousness. We have forgiveness. We have a standing with God. It cannot be taken away. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so God comes again to Cain. Oh, the kindness of God towards Cain. God comes again, inviting him to repent and believe. He comes to Cain again and he says, Where is Abel your brother? But Cain, in his greatest sin so far, greater than his sin of anger, greater than his sin of rage, greater than his sin of murder, now Cain has the audacity, the sin-sick heart, to talk back to God. You say, well, murder seems pretty bad, but Cain's sin of talking back to God is an even greater sin. Oh, how, how, most, how recent was it that Cain heard the story of God's voice that spoke and the universe came into being? the third person on the planet, surrounded by the glory of what God had made, the surpassing greatness of God's power, this third-born person has the audacity to talk back to God and say, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, the battle for Cain's heart isn't that he murdered his brother. It's that he had the audacity to talk back to God. The real danger to his soul was his relationship to God, not just his relationship to Abel. And the greatest danger to your heart doesn't have to do with the relationships between you and your spouse or you and your kids. The greatest danger to your heart is oriented around your relationship with God. And if you get your relationship with God right, you'll begin to get your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends right too. Verse 11. Oh, wait. <laughs> this is important. There's three people speaking. Cain speaks, God speaks, and Abel speaks. And Abel speaks by his blood. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And Cain hears the blood of his brother, and it says, you are guilty. It says, you are condemned. The wages of sin is death. 
What you deserve is eternal punishment. And today, the wages of sin is still death. But the grace of God through Jesus Christ is still eternal life. And the blood of Jesus cries out to you. If you'd hear it, the blood of Jesus cries out to you. And it doesn't say condemnation. It says forgiveness. It doesn't say you're guilty. It says there's more to the story. Though you're guilty and condemned and doomed apart from grace to eternal death, you can find a way of escape through my blood that says a greater story, a greater testament. In Hebrews 12, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Cain. Oh, Cain's blood says you're guilty, and your blood says you're guilty. But Jesus' blood says you can be forgiven. Jesus' blood speaks a better testimony. and It says you can be not only forgiven, you can be righteous. You can be accepted in the same way that Abel was accepted and declared righteous by God through faith. The battle is raging for your heart. Is it going to be belief or is it going to be unbelief? Is it going to be sin or is it going to be righteousness? Is it going to be evil or is it going to be eternal life? Which is it going to be? Won't you choose life? Won't you choose life through faith in Christ that brings righteousness and speaks a better testimony than the blood of Abel? Won't you look to the blood of Jesus? that gives forgiveness and healing and cleansing from sin, that breaks the penalty of sin and breaks the power of sin. Won't you trust in Christ and receive from Him the same righteousness that Abel received, the righteousness that comes through faith? Verse 11, You are cursed of the ground which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. The trajectory of God's word is towards grace. The trajectory of God's word is, through, is toward love. The trajectory of God's word is toward kindness. But there's also severity. And Cain, in God's words to him, he's only able to hear the words of severity. And he cries out, God, it's too much. 
And if you hear the gospel this morning, but all you hear is the bad news of the severity of God and the judgment against sinners, and you don't hear the good news of the gospel, then you'll be just like Cain. You'll say, it's too much, Lord. It's too much. But if you'll hear, if you'll hear the kindness of God in the gospel, oh, that God is still providing for Cain. God is still patient towards Cain that he might repent and believe the gospel, that he might repent and put his trust in the love of the Father, that he might repent and receive from God a righteousness that he hasn't produced, but a righteousness that God credits to him through faith if he would just believe the gospel. God holds out severity and kindness to you today. Which will it be? Cain made his choice. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the saddest verse in the whole chapter. It's the saddest verse in the whole chapter. Cain went out from the presence of God. If I ask you, what is a greater tragedy? Is the greater tragedy Abel's death at the hand of his brother? Is it the death of a righteous man at the hand of an evil man? Is that the greater tragedy? The world would say, no. But the world would say, yes, it is. It's the greater tragedy. Abel was a young man. Abel had his whole life ahead of him. How could a young man be taken in his prime? But the greater tragedy, the gospel tells us that the greater tragedy is Cain going out from the presence of God. Because the instant that Abel was killed by his brother, he immediately went into the presence of God. And he has been in the presence of God and will be in the presence of God for all eternity. Abel was received by God through faith. And it is no tragedy for a person who puts their trust in Jesus to leave this earth for the earth to come because they're secure by faith. It is no tragedy for someone to leave to go to the presence of God, but it is a great tragedy. It is a great tragedy for one like Cain to refuse the kindness of God, to refuse the grace of God, to refuse the love of God and leave his presence. So don't do it. Don't do it. That's the battle. The battle is for faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Trust him. The great tragedy is that any one of us would leave this room this morning not trusting in Jesus. Don't let it be you. Oh, Father, would you give grace? Holy Spirit, would you give help? Jesus, would you be seen by all of us for all your glory in sacrificing yourself for us that we wouldn't ever have to leave your presence? Oh, would you help us? Verse 17. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch. Because, of course, what do you do when you're in the line of proud Cain and you build a city? You name it after yourself. 
Now to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech, and Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zilhah, and Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubalcain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubalcain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And just as we saw in Cain, sin was crouching at the door of Lamech's heart. And sin wasn't content Sin gave birth to not just one wife, but two. And Lamech went outside the boundaries that God had established for marriage, one man and one woman for life. And Lamech said, I know better than God how to run my life, and I choose two wives. And Lamech didn't just murder one man the way Cain had. Lamech murders two men, one just a boy. Sin is crouching at the door of Lamech, and it's beginning to run amok. The battle is raging. And in seven generations, you go from Cain and his sin to now Lamech. In full rebellion against God, in full rebellion against God's commands, embracing bigamy, embracing murder, embracing a second murder, and then saying in his pride, if my if my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was going to be avenged sevenfold, then I'm going to be avenged seventy-sevenfold. That's how great I am. Sin will be killing you, or you will be killing sin. How do we do it? Here it is. <laughs> You've hung in there. Verse 25 and verse 26 don't miss this. If you've checked out, come back for this. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also, a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What is the hope? What is the hope when the battle's raging? What is the hope when you see sin giving birth to sin, giving birth to sin, giving birth to sin? What is the hope? The hope is in the gospel. And the gospel has bad news. And Eve is forced to face the bad news of the gospel dead in the face. My son Cain killed my son Abel. 
She's faced with the brutal reality of the devastation that sin brings. That's the bad news of the gospel. Sin will not spare any soul. It will always devastate. That's the bad news, and we're all guilty. But here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided. He's provided another who would have another, who would have another, who would have another in the line of faith. And from that line of faith would come the ultimate provision for sin. His name is Jesus. God has provided a way of escape from sin for you and for me. His name is Jesus. And Jesus lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we deserve to die. Jesus is God's provision for sin. Will you trust him? That's what Eve invites you to. And men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's by faith that we receive the forgiveness. It's by faith that we receive the righteousness credited to our account. It's by faith that we receive the adoption to sonship. It's by faith. Men begun to call upon the name of the Lord, and so it continued. And then the days of the prophets, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. And Paul in Romans chapter 10 will quote Joel chapter 2, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it started. Genesis chapter 4. When the battle begins and the offer of forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life is called, is offered, and men began to call on the name of the Lord and it comes down through the centuries and it comes to you today and it asks the question, do you see the bullets? Do you hear the bombs? Is it well with your soul today? Or is there a pocket of sin that you're holding on to? And you're saying, God, I know. You, you like, look, I know I'm forgiven. That's what you do. But if you're not killing sin, sin will kill you. Are you trusting? Are you calling upon the name of the Lord? Won't you? Won't you admit God, sin is a much bigger problem than I realized. God, I believe that your son is the provision for sin and condemnation and judgment, and it all fell on him in my place. Jesus, I commit. I'll go your way. I'm done going my way. I don't want to be like Cain. I don't want to go my way from your presence. I want to go the way of Abel. I want to go the way of Seth. I want to go the way of all who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. Won't you? Won't you call upon the name of the Lord? And won't you, Christian, keep calling upon the name of the Lord? Because it's faith that will win the battle. It's faith 
that will bring about the deliverance of your soul in the midst of the bullets and the bombs. It's faith that will join you to Jesus. Won't you go on calling upon the name of the Lord? What is the victory that has overcome the world? It is your faith. What is the victory that has overcome the world? What is the victory in the midst of the battle? It's your faith. Your faith, not in faith, but in Christ. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So won't you walk by faith? Lost person, won't you put your faith in Jesus? Found person, once you go on believing in Jesus, it was for that purpose that Jesus came into the world. It was for that purpose that Jesus went to the cross. It was for that purpose that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is what he says in John 16. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So this week, you're in small group, and you break up for prayer at small group, and, and someone says, hey, anything going on this week, anything you need prayer for? And somebody raises their hand, and they say, well, I really need prayer. I've fallen down again on my devotionals. I haven't read my Bible this week the way I should have. Oh, I just, I pray, God, would you help me read my Bible? What do you say? Do you say, well, it's only four days a week that we're asking you to read. What's the matter with you? Why can't you understand this victory is yours? Can't you be an overcomer like me? That's not the gospel. That kind of talk will land people straight in hell. Don't tell people to try harder. They can't. But what if instead... You told him the gospel. And the gospel says, Oh, non-Bible reader, why is your heart downcast? Why are you despairing? Don't you know that your real problem isn't that you don't read your Bible? Don't you know that the sin beneath your sin of not reading your Bible is that you believe you're wiser than God? Don't you believe that your real problem isn't your Bible reading, whether it's righteousness or unrighteousness? Your real problem is that you believe you're wiser than God and that you can do a better job running your life than God can. Won't you repent and believe the gospel? Won't you believe that he's wiser than you are? And when you repent, the sin beneath the sin, oh, then you'll say, I need some more of that gospel. I need some more time with my heavenly Father to hear the music of the gospel. The gospel is my only hope. Where do I find it? I find it here. So I'll run. And pretty soon you'll find yourself captivated by the glory of Jesus.
You won't find yourself praying small prayers. Oh, Father, just help me read my Bible four days a week. You'll find yourself praying prayers. Father, give me the tens of thousands of people in this county who don't yet know you. Give me St. John's County. Give me my office. Give me my neighborhood. And how will that happen? Because you're rallied up? No, because the gospel has come into your life. Because someone asked you the question, why? So this week, I asked myself the question, why? I was sitting in this room. One of my heroes, a pastor named Randy Pope, pastor of Perimeter Church in Atlanta, now retired, stood here in this room. He preached a sermon, and I remembered. I remembered that I had heard a similar sermon from him many, 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 many years ago. 20, 20 years ago. And in that sermon, he challenged us to go make disciples, evangelize the lost, win them to faith, build believers, help them grow in their faith, equip workers who can go out and share their faith with others. And oh, that, that in our denomination, there'd be a generation of people raised up to create another generation of people who would be raised up to create another generation of people who could make Christ known to all the world so that Jesus would come. I heard that message 20 years ago. And I said, I'm in. And then I sat here on Thursday. And I heard him say again, Go make disciples. And I thought, what have I done with my life? My little sin-sick orphan heart wanted to say, oh, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? But you know, something else raged in my heart. I wanted to go up to Randy and I wanted to take my glossy, My glossy eight and a half by five and a half study. I wanted to open it up and show him. Oh, don't you see these, this beautiful glossy photograph of our, of our plan to make disciples? Oh, Randy, won't you give me just a little thimble full of affirmation and approval? Oh, hero, won't you tell me I've done a good job? Do you know what the gospel says? The gospel says, oh, Dave, Cheer up. You are so much more worse than you could ever imagine. And the gospel says, oh, cheer up. You are so much more loved than you could ever imagine. Don't look for a thimble full of Randy Pope or any other human being's approval and affirmation when an ocean of God's love is offered to you in the gospel. Why would you look to righteousness from Randy when righteousness from Jesus is offered to you by faith? Oh, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I don't know where the battle's going to rage in your heart this week, but when it does, when it does, the victory that overcomes the world is faith. Live in the line of Abel. Live in the line of Seth. And begin to call with the name of 
of the Lord that you would be delivered. Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray. I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Say, I offer you regard. I offer you love. I offer you acceptance. I offer you righteousness. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you adoption. Jesus, help us to see your provision for all those promises from the Father. If we would just put our trust in you. And Holy Spirit, give us hearts to turn loose of all of our righteousness, our good deeds, and our bad. And trust in Jesus. Holy Spirit, only you can give us the power to admit, Jesus, I have sinned and I've broken your heart and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you paid the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves. You rose from the dead to prove that you did it. You offer me righteousness that you earned for me. Jesus, if you'd come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be, I'll follow you. Holy Spirit, would you give people in this room now the opportunity and the power to do that? And Father, for all of us who are in the line of Seth, found in the faith, calling upon the name of the Lord, may you deliver us. Deliver us from the sin within us and the sin around us and the sin above us. Help us to find our way out of the battle, not as spectators, but as fighters, fighting the fight of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.